Non-Monogamy Help is a podcast where your questions about open, non-monogamous or polyamorous relationships are answered. Our host, Lola Phoenix, will consult a licensed therapist with over a decade of experience to address your problems. Names and locations have been changed or censored to keep your questions anonymous. You're listening to Non-Monogamy Help, the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Non-Monogamy Help podcast. I am going to have to unfortunately let you know that I had audio problems this episode, so I had to pull the episode from another recording. So it is not the best audio quality. I very, very, very much apologize for it, um, but it was the only way that I could save the audio. So anyway, with that in mind, um, please send your questions to nonmonogamyhelp at gmail.com and they'll either be read in the podcast or the column anonymously. If you want to read the columns and listen to the podcast, you can go to nonmonogamyhelp.com. Subscribe to our newsletter by going to go.nonmonogamyhelp.com forward slash email and follow us on Twitter at nonmonogamyhelp and on Instagram. If you want to support the columns and the podcast, please consider becoming a patron. Even $5 or more, or, uh, or even $1 helps the podcast. Thanks so much. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash Lola Phoenix. Let's get to this week's discussion question. If this is the first time you're hearing us, I go through a discussion question each episode that helps you get to know your partners a little bit more, and it's just a nice way to start the episode. I also answer it myself briefly to give you a little bit of context. This week's discussion question is, what happens when your partner and your best friend don't get along? I think this is a really good question to ask because so many of the metamorph questions I get are basically very similar to this one. There really isn't a reason why metamors always have to get along and I think that with the advent of the whole kitchen table polyamory thing it has made people have a lot of pressure to create that type of scenario. If kitchen table polyamory is what you want that's totally valid and fine. It's not something that I personally think I would want just because I don't I don't I don't feel comfortable with the idea that I have to get along with somebody who I may not necessarily have very much in common with just because we are interested in the same person romantically doesn't necessarily mean we're going to become best friends. So for me personally, I don't necessarily like that. What I would do if my partner and my best friend don't get along, I think I would just make sure that I spent time with them apart and didn't force them into situations where they had to interact too much. I think it's not too much to ask, depending on what happened in between them, for me to expect them to be civil with one another and be adult about things, but I wouldn't necessarily force them into situations where they would be uncomfortable, and I wouldn't feel like I had to do that either way. My best friend and my partner getting along is not the most important thing in the entire world. So yeah, that is this week's discussion question. Let's get to this week's letter. So what do you do when a mutual partner ghosts you, but not your shared partner? My long-term partner and I were both singularly and severely involved with a partner. The partner just completely ghosted me, but kept talking to my long-term partner. They said that they had a lot going on in their life, and I totally understand that, but I also feel like if they had enough time to keep talking to my long-term partner, they had enough time to say something to me. Even a, hey, I've got stuff going on, or a, I don't want to see you anymore, is better than what I got. And what sucks even worse is that they kept talking, and I didn't know. I thought that they had ghosted us, and not just me. 
It makes me feel like there's something wrong with me, like I'm not good enough. Rejection sucks, but I've been through it before. This sucks way worse though, and I can't explain why. Before we get to this week's answer, I'm just going to quickly plug this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. Quite often in my columns and podcasts, I encourage people to seek a polyamory-friendly therapist, and for a lot of people, that isn't an option locally or within their budget. And BetterHelp allows you to find therapists online that you can send messages to at any time of the day. They do offer some financial aid. You can get 10% off your first month by using the promo code NOMINOGAMYHELP or going to betterhelp.com forward slash NOMINOGAMYHELP. This is this week's answer. Again, super apologies for the horrible audio quality. Next week will be better, I pinky promise. I've already checked to make sure that that audio wasn't messed up too. Thank you for listening. There's a lot going on with this particular situation because the, the, the thing that I'm wondering, the long and short of it, is that if you were to go with the option of confronting this person as much as you could possibly confront them, I'm not sure what the logistics are. Like, does this person live really close to you both? Do you live with your partner, your long-term partner? Is this person going to be physically coming over? Is there COVID stuff that's happening with this? Since when we're recording this, this is still in the midst of COVID. So I don't know if it's likely that you're physically going to run into this person or if you have to go out of your way to run into this person. And generally speaking, I think you could confront them, but I'm wondering if confronting will get you the answers that you want. So I think it's worth thinking about what is the answer that you want from this? Because I do think that, you know, it's for some people, rejecting people outright is a really hard thing to do. And I'm not saying that makes it totally okay to ghost someone, but to say they said they had a lot going on in their life, that sort of reads to me as a little bit of a rejection, if not a direct one. And it could be possible that to them, they didn't ghost you. They told you they had a lot going on in their life and that was the end of it. There's a variety of different reasons why they might decide to continue talking to your long-term partner. And I don't know if by talking, that means that they're dating or they're romantically involved, and not to you, but it may just be that they get along better with your long-term partner and than they do with you. And considering the fact that I'm assuming that they know that you're dating your long-term partner, perhaps they feel just as awkward about it as you do. So I don't know what it is that you would get from a, a confrontation because they may just tell you like, you know, the reasons in particular that they feel they're not compatible with you or they may tell you something that you don't necessarily want to hear and that wouldn't necessarily be helpful for you. I think that the thing that I'm wondering about this is that, you know, you say rejection sucks, you've been through it before, and it sucks way worse. And what wonders me about it is it doesn't bother you. What is, is, is their rejection bothering you? Or is it actually that your long-term partner is continuing to engage with them even after knowing, I assume that your long-term partner knows that they ghosted you. And maybe that's the issue. It's not so much that, you know, that they've ghosted you and rejected you, whatever, but that your long-term partner is now continuing to talk with them. And maybe you feel awkward about that, you know, and this opens up a different kind of can of worms. Like, I think that one of the things that's interesting about non-monogamy and polyamory is that we get to see the choices that our partners make. And 
it's quite easy, especially within monogamy and especially within the way that we're encouraged to practice monogamy to think that our partners have chosen us because we're really special or we're really good at something or, you know, that we stand out or that we are, are particularly good. And that's kind of the narrative that the society that we're in encourages us to believe, right? That they've chosen us because we're better in some way. And so the funny thing about polyamory is that you can see the people that your partner choose and you can be less than impressed about that. And in this particular situation, it's less about like that you don't like this person, but it's that your partner's sort of choosing someone that has kind of been rude to you and you don't really know what to make of that. Because, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you some people operate in a very compartmentalized way. And I've struggled with this a lot, too. Like, some people are like, this is what ha has happened in between you two, and we are separate. And I can see the validity in that. And if that is how people can emotionally operate, then that totally makes sense. On the other hand, I can also see the problem that you can have if, you know, someone's been really not really rude. I mean, they just ghosted you. That's not nice. But someone's been not nice to you and your partner has gone, oh, okay, in a way. So have you talked about it with your long-term partner? You know, I, this is really tricky because it, it, and I've been in situations like this before with friends and not even necessarily with just partners. It's like, I have had friends who have been nasty to my partner and me go, you know what? I, even though, yes, this isn't, you know, I'm I'm not, we aren't a unit and I don't really like to be in that kind of a unit. Like I don't operate as a unit. I operate as me. It's kind of hard for me to be friends with people who are mean to people that I care about. Like I can't ignore that or separate that. So it might be that this is less about that person and more about what's going on in between you and your long-term partner. Um, cause I assume that you meant you were severely involved with the same person and the fact that you thought that, that this person had ghosted both of you, and then you suddenly found out that wasn't the case. That is really awkward. And I just think that you need to, just need to talk it out a little bit more with your long-term partner. And it's really important not to use your, and I'm sure you know this, but it's really important not to use your long-term partner as a way to get answers from this person. but you know, just ask your, just say, like, this is how I'm feeling. What, what do you feel about the situation? It could be that your partner feels just as awkward about it. I, I would really hesitate to encourage your partner to make any decisions about the relationship they have with that person purely based off of the way that they've treated you. Because here's the thing about ghosting. Um, I have done this before in friendships. Um <laughs> I'm not necessarily proud of it, but for me personally, I have resorted to what people would call ghosting when I have felt like having a direct confrontation with the person was either not something that I could do at the time, or if I felt like it would not result in anything beneficial. Like there was someone who I was friends with for ages and I just, I didn't have, you know, my expectations of them were not really fair, but I didn't know how to have a, a confrontation. I don't, I've, I'm not generally very good at healthy confrontation. I'm very good at unhealthy confrontation. I'm very good at, you know, I, I can easily like get mad at somebody. I can easily, like if I have to really put my foot down, I'm very, I'm very fine with doing that. But to be vulnerable and to say, hey, I this hurt and this is how I feel. 
that is really, really hard for me, actually. And so when people go, sometimes I can't speak for every single person, for every single person, every single situation. But sometimes the reason why they do that is not necessarily because they're trying to hurt you. It might be that they don't know how to do rejection. They don't know how to make it clear. It might be that they thought that they made it clear by telling you that they have a lot going on. Um, and that was clear enough. And maybe you're like, oh, that's not so clear. It's hard for me to say because I don't know what if you've sent them a bunch of messages and been like, hey, how are you? And they've just totally ignored it. I mean, generally that is what happens with ghosting. But if you see that they've seen the messages, it's a bit different. But sometimes that's what people do when they can't really have a direct confrontation. And I'm not saying that makes it easy, easier for you or that it feels nice, but it might be worth thinking about that. Like there are good reasons why they may have they may want to make time in their life for your long-term partner, but not necessarily with you. Maybe they're really intimidated by dating two people who are dating each other and they feel like, or they want to make a decision instead of dating you both. Like there's, we could sit here and speculate all sorts of reasons, but I'm saying that it's, it's, I'm not saying sit here on an endless loop of speculation as to why they did it, but I'm saying that it's not to take it personally, that it's probably not necessarily about you personally. And even if it is, if they're not willing to tell you exactly why they've done this or exactly why they're not interested, then there's only so much you can do. But when it comes to how weird you're feeling, I think it sucks worse just because, you know, your partner got accepted and you didn't. And that's really hard. And it's just, it's worth talking with your partner about it or seeing a therapist. If you have access to a polyamory friendly therapist, talking through that and just also allowing yourself to be a little bit put out by it like rejection does suck in general it's always gonna suck but when somebody you know gets accepted and you get rejected like that sucks like and you're gonna feel a, a way about it and that's okay like it will I think eventually pass but it might be worth like just having a chat with your partner like no expectation of them to do anything in their relationship but just letting you know that you feel weird about it and if they plan to bring that person over, then you might all have to like acknowledge what's the big elephant in the room of what's happened and, and just, you know, <laughs> laugh about it, address it and, and move on. Because I don't, I don't necessarily think this is going to be a big deal in the long term. It just feels a little bit weird right now because of the way that it happened. And then the fact that your partner is probably still talking to them and it feels a bit awkward and that's okay. So yeah. Just to recap, you could confront them depending on your logistical situation, but I don't know is that that will be helpful for you. I think you do have to kind of just accept that it may not have been a very good rejection, but it is clearly is some type of rejection and it is what it is. And, you know, let go of a, the assumption that having that knowing exactly why they've rejected you is going to make you feel better because I don't think it will. And then the second thing is have a talk with your long-term partner about it and you know try to explore a little a little bit yourself like does it bother you that your long-term partner is, has has been accepted or continues to talk with them um you know ask what the plans are if this person does come visit your long-term partner like how are you going to work this out it might be that eventually there is kind of a sit down with all three of you and you just kind of talk about it and that would probably be really useful um to just address the situation but just have a chat with your partner about it, but don't put any pressure on them to make decisions. Like it's okay for you to have feelings about being rejected by a person who's kind of 
you know, accepted more or less your partner. But the last thing that you want to do is necessarily make them feel like they have to, they have to do something to, to honor your feelings to this person. Like I, I, that's not a really fair position to put them in. And last but not least, I just think that you, you have to accept that you feel a little bit shit and be okay with that. Like you, you feel a bit shit and rejection sucks, but this one sucks a little bit worse. And I don't think it's going to suck forever. It's going to suck for a little while. It's going to be awkward. Embrace that it's going to suck and be awkward for a while. If you have access to a polyamory friendly therapist, consider having a few sessions talking through this and eventually you will, I think you will feel better. But yeah, I think it sucks mainly because it's one thing to get rejected. Like usually when we get rejected, we don't know who else has been accepted. Now we know who else has been accepted. So it's easy for your brain to start comparing and contrasting and, and that's just your brain trying to like help you out. Like it does, it's not, it doesn't feel helpful at all. It doesn't feel in the slightest bit helpful at all right now, but that is your brain just trying to, especially if you've ever been through any kind of trauma, like it's, it's your brain being a survival brain and going, Oh, if we, if we learn where we made a mistake, then, then we'll, we'll be able to prevent rejection from happening and happening again. Your brain just doesn't want you to feel pain again. But the thing is that you can't, and I've said this in my columns, I've said this in podcasts before, and I I have a 102, a polyamory 102 and 101, or 101 and 102 articles. Um, and I think specifically I talk about this in my 101 article. You can't embrace, you know, your anxiety is always going to make you feel like if you make, if you make different choices and you'll be able to prevent pain, you'll be able to prevent the worst from happening. But you can't accept that and accept the hypervigilance without also accepting that everything that has happened to you is somehow your fault. And it's not. Like the rejections you've had before is not because you've made some grave error every single time or, you know, it just happens. And your brain is in its weirdness trying to help you figure it out so that it can prevent pain. But, you know, sitting with it and going, hey, this happened will eventually help your survival brain calm down. But at least if you can see that it's just your survival brain trying to help you out, then that sometimes makes it a lot easier to deal with it. All right, I hope this helps and good luck. Thank you so much for listening to episode 70 of the Non-Monogamy Help podcast. Sorry again about the audio issues, but it will be fine next week. If you want to be awesome, you can donate to our Patreon, donating $5 or more with your name. Donating $5 or more means your name with your permission will be read at the end of the podcast. This week's current patrons are Laura Boylan, Chris Albury Jones, Duke, Ellen Robinson, Nikki Jones, and James Wartell. If for whatever reason you can't become a patron because life happens, if you can take five minutes, log into iTunes, find the podcast, rate and review it, that would be so helpful. I'd really appreciate it. Five minutes. If you just want to do a rating, that's also fine. That's all for this week. Because this is episode 70, that does mean that we will be on a break. So next week you will not get a column or a podcast, but you will get a column on the 26th of November and then another podcast on the 3rd of December. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Non-Monogamy Help. Our music has been provided by Chris Albury-Jones at albury-jones.com. And our podcast art was made by Dom Young at d-o-m-d-u-o-n-g.com. Thank you again for listening.